covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. It is great to have you with us as we have another week's worth of Milwaukee Brewers talk. Have a fun podcast coming up uh, here on this edition. A couple housekeeping items to take care of here at the top of the podcast, as we always do. If you listen via Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review, that would be fantastic. You can uh, also subscribe to the podcast, and uh, that would be good. You can subscribe on Stitcher as well. If you listen, say, at WTMJ.com, that's great. We appreciate it. And also a special hello to everybody who is listening as part of the uh, 540 ESPN Pod Center, which uh, Doug Russell puts together. So a hello to uh, everybody out there who is listening to the podcast on 540 ESPN. On the uh, podcast this week, Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball is going to join us. You're going to hear a lot from him. We're going to do a uh, conversation based around the Major League team today. But then over the next few weeks, we're going to do our annual really in-depth and thorough look back at the minor league. So that's going to be starting coming up uh, next week. But today we are going to do uh, just a basically a deep dive on what's going on here in the offseason. And the offseason took a little bit of a turn this past week with the news that uh, the 2020 option on Eric Thames was not picked up and the decision to trade Chase Anderson to the Toronto Blue Jays. Had he not been traded, his option would not have been picked up, and he would have been let go. So the Brewers uh, part ways with both Anderson and Thames. I don't think either of the salaries are crazy salaries for those guys. You know, with Anderson, Toronto was very willing to pick him up at $8.5 million. Uh, for for Eric Thames, the the seven and a half million dollars, I would think he'll be in that neighborhood. Maybe he won't get to that exact number. Maybe he'll take a little bit less on an annual average value if he goes somewhere where he can get multiple years. But I don't think it was a crazy number. And a lot of it, I think, especially with somebody like Eric Thames, if you've got an opening at first base, there might be some other avenues that you want to go down first before you circle back to Thames. So part of the decision-making, I think, has to do with really payroll flexibility. In fact, I think a lot of it has to do with payroll flexibility. Eric Thames is probably worth around that number. But for the Brewers, as they go into a period where they're going to try to upgrade the team, they'll attempt to bring back Yasmani Grandal. You would think that they would attempt to bring back Mike Moustakis. Even though $7.5 million is not a crazy number for an Eric Thames, having that $7.5 million not on the books right now makes it probably that that's where you want to go with it that's that's the advantage to letting Eric Thames go is the payroll flexibility there absolutely is still a scenario where Thames is back with the team there's clearly a scenario where he's not as well and it probably has a lot to do with what happens with other free agents I don't I I could be wrong on this maybe we'll be talking on the podcast next week and we're gonna be talking about him already signing a deal with another team but I would think for somebody like Eric Thames, he gets thrown into just the the group of free agents that are out there that probably are going to be kind of in wait-and-see mode as some of the more high-profile free agents end up getting signed. I expect that the free agent market is going to look very much this offseason the same way it looked the past two offseasons, where you have 
just a few high-profile free agents. Uh, a lot of individuals be waiting on those uh, players to sign because maybe there's three or four teams that are interested and, and legitimately can play, pay an Anthony Rendon or can pay a, a Garrett Cole. And then once they get signed, other guys can start getting swooped up. That's what I would expect it to be, and there's no reason to believe that Rendon and, and Cole are going to sign faster this year than, say, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado ended up signing last year. Maybe it's a little bit different uh, between the position player and the pitcher because it was two position players last year. But all that being said, you get the idea that it's probably going to be a slow market. And maybe Thames ends up back with the Brewers because I don't think uh, while while Ryan Braun can play some first base, and we'll talk about that with Brad Ford coming up in just a while, a lot of the starts at first base are probably not on the Brewers roster right now. And Yasmani Grandal probably plays into that if they're able to bring him back, having the opportunity to play him at first base on some days to give him a day off behind the plate. But even beyond that, even beyond uh, Grandal and Braun, there's probably going to need to be somebody else who can play a little bit at first base. Maybe it's Travis Shaw. Maybe you look at him as somebody who, if you are going to bring him back and if you expect him to have a bounce-back type season, he's somebody who you can uh, play over there at first base. But it's it's very interesting right now when you think about the infield. You don't know what's going to happen at first base. You still really don't know what's going to happen at shortstop uh, if they are going to try to upgrade Orlando Arcia. Have no clue what's going to happen at third. Have no clue what's going to happen behind the plate other than the fact that Manny Pena is going to be on the roster. They did exercise the club option on him, which was valued at $1.85 million. But the infield, there are very little answers except for Keston here at second base. In the outfield, there are answers. You know who's available to play out there, and it's a pretty solid group. But for a team that's coming off back-to-back playoff appearances, there's probably more question marks than most teams that are considered playoff contender, playoff caliber teams, and that's what makes this offseason that much more compelling. That along with the fact that the minor leagues probably cannot be used as much as they've been used in previous seasons to acquire major league talent just because the depth of talent at the prospect level is not so much there. So more questions come into play with the decision to decline Eric Thames' option and really the decision to decline the option on Chase Anderson, but eventually that turning into a trade because they were not going to bring back Anderson uh, either way on his option for this upcoming season. Interesting things. It's going to be, this could be a fun offseason. You know, last week, we did this show, and we it always releases early Monday morning. We record it on Sunday nights. If you're somebody who stays up in the middle of the night, you generally see it drop somewhere between 11 p.m. and, and 2 o'clock in the morning, somewhere in there. You know, this, this podcast was barely a day old when this news all ended up coming down, and maybe it's going to be the case of that once again, where all of a sudden something's going to happen on Monday that's going to answer some questions. But for now... There are a lot of questions, and there are more questions now than there were exactly one week ago when we were recording last week's podcast. A conversation with Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball on the way, but first, let's get to this week's headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's headlines of the week. So we really hit on the, the three biggest headlines from this past week in our first segment. Option declined on Eric Thames. Uh, Chase Anderson traded to Toronto as uh, they are going to, uh, they do receive 
Double-A first baseman and outfielder Chad Spanberger in exchange for Anderson. Uh, also, uh, they decide to uh, bring back Manny Pena on his $1.85 million club option. They also reinstate relievers Corey Knable and Bobby Wall from the 60-day injured list, so they are back officially on the 40-man roster. Some of the other notes, the Silver Sluggers were awarded this past week, and Christian Yelich, he wins it again as uh, he picks up his third overall Silver Slugger, his second with the Brewers. Also, the finalists are out for the MVP, and Yelich is one of three finalists along with Cody Bellinger and Anthony Rendon. Craig Council is one of the finalists for the uh, National League Manager of the Year. He is there with the Braves' Brian Snitker, who won it last year, and also Mike Schilt of the Cardinals. Going back to award winners, uh, Lorenzo Cain, who we talked about last week on the show, winning his uh, first gold glove. He picks up some more hardware as the Wilson Defensive Player of the Year awards were announced this past week, and the award in center field does go to uh, Lorenzo Cain. He is now a four-time winner of this award, although it's the first time he's won it since 2014. He won it three straight times from 2012 to 2014. That is this week's edition of Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation. You're going to be hearing a lot from this guy here over the next month or so of the podcast. I think it kind of worked out that way uh, last year as well. He is uh, Brad Ford from uh, Brew Crew Ball. We talked to him a lot about minor league stuff. We talked to him about major league stuff as well. And I always promise it to you, and we eventually get to it after the season ends, the uh, full-scale minor league recap, and we will get to that uh, beginning next week. But for now, it is going to be a conversation based around the major league team as we bring Brad on to the podcast. Hi, Brad. Hello, Matt. It feels like it's been forever, but now I get you for basically an entire month, so I'm happy about it. This might actually be the longest we have gone in the history of this podcast without having you on. Yeah, well, you know, things come up. The season ended a little earlier, and then um, it's been an interesting offseason so far between the postseason since the Brewers have left um, and everything else that's happened. Uh, Some moves I'm sure we'll talk about today. So, you know, things have been happening, and it's kept uh, the minor league picture a little less prominent than it's been in other years. Also, the farm's just a little less fun than it was even a year ago. So, I get it. Yeah, and that's part of it because it seems like if this team wants to make major upgrades this year, they're going to have to do it. Not that they don't have anybody that they can trade. They do. But it seems like it's going to either be via using creativity or using money for major upgrades this offseason. Would you agree with that general idea? Absolutely. I think based on the supplies that they have compared to normal, they don't really have anyone coming up through the ranks that's coming to save the day. Um, You know, probably the biggest addition that the team can make internally is pitching and having Corbin Burns turn his performance around from last year. Uh, Good reports out right now is that they did discover a mechanical flaw in his and have been working diligently in the offseason so far to try to correct that. So hopefully they get burns back to the supreme player we saw him in his first year 
But outside of that, no one's really coming to save the day. There's no Keston Hira waiting in the wings this season who can come up when the team has a major injury and take off right away or has like this huge ceiling. Maybe also Trent Grisham in that we only saw a little bit from him last year. Um, and he can have more of a contribution. But if they want to make moves, they're going to have to spend this year. And the free agent market has a lot of options in the areas where they need help. Uh, but they will have to spend money, which is something we're not quite used to. And it's not like Mark and David haven't spent money. They got Lorenzo Cain two off seasons ago. You bring in Yes Money Grandal and Moose two seasons ago or a season ago. Um, but it's bigger than it's been before. Now, really, the only for sure spot in the infield you have is Keston Hero. Then you don't have a first baseman. You don't have a you have a shortstop who can play every day. But based on his performance over the last two seasons, you probably should upgrade if you want to continue to be a playoff team. Um, Travis Shaw can play third base, but do you trust that he is going to overcome his woes that followed him all season last year? Manny Pena can play every day at catcher, but that's a significant drop off from Yasmani Grandal, who's one of the best all around catchers, if not the best all around catcher in all of baseball. Um, the outfield, of course, is fairly set. Uh, if not a little too packed, which could help resolve some of the infield things. But that's four of your offensive positions that you need to shore up in one way or another. And then you're missing a couple spots in the rotation now that you just created. Uh, bullpen might be okay. I might have something coming to that later at Brew Crew Ball. I'm pimping my stuff a little earlier than I normally do. <laughs> but um, it's there's holes to fill, and they're significant holes. So you need to find players who can contribute and i'm not sure if they can get away with those signings that they've done in the past like wade miley where they sign them to a minor league contract and see how it plays out bring them to the major league roster and just hope for the best you can get away with that in some roles but not in the roles and what they need right now yeah uh you said a lot right there and it's a lot that i want to get into so that's a that's a good way to really get things rolling here well let's start with the decisions to move on from Eric Thames' salary and $7.5 million that you're not paying him. In, in essence, it's 6 dollars because you got to pay him a million dollars not to take that option. So the true cost is $6.5 million. Uh, Chase Anderson, $8.5 million, which another team was willing to pick up. They're clearing space right now. Do you get the sense that they, they make those moves more more because not that they're unwilling to pay Eric Thames seven and a half million dollars, but that that seven and a half million dollars is more valuable to the organization at least right now, being going to nobody just to give them some payroll flexibility. I think that's exactly it. Also, the play her the management is very aware since uh, Stearns took over and restructured everything about the value of what they are paying for in terms of uh, what the market is paying for similar value for, and also the money that's going towards certain amount of production. Uh, Chase Anderson, I think, was very successful in the rotation last year. However, he was successful because he was extremely limited in how they used them. I mean, four or five innings to start, um, very quick starts when they did let him go uh, further than that. He did not have a lot of success. Um, while he did have, especially towards the end, some good outings, I believe that they think a guy who's throwing four or five innings 
isn't worth eight and a half million based on what they can get for eight and a half million out in the market. Same thing with Thames. The production that you're getting out of first base is significant. When you look at him putting up a nearly two war in his, you know, 459 plate appearances and, you know, having a pretty good WRC plus, which is an offensive measurement tool of 116, 100 is average, higher than 100 is good. Um, you can, he was a great productive force, but I think when they look at what everyone else is paying for similar production, they know that they can go out and they can get pay $5 million or $4 million to get similar production and use that $3 million. Maybe that's the $3 million difference that they pay a year to keep Yasmani Grundal. Maybe that's what his raise ends up looking like. Um, so I think they see it that way. And if they let these players go, they can sign someone who closer fits the value for the role that that player played and then have more flexibility because they're saving money replacing that spot. I also think it's telling. I mean, we can clearly say that they they were probably, if they're not going to pick up the Chase Anderson option, they didn't have a million dollars, which most assume that they were not going to pick that up. They were looking to make a trade. They made a trade. If they were looking to trade him, they clearly were also looking to make a deal with Eric Thames. And if anybody was out there was willing to pay Eric Thames $7.5 million right now, they would have gotten a deal done. They would have thrown in some sort of low-level minor league prospect, and it, it would have been done, and somebody would have paid you know, just a little bit more than a bag of balls for the right to be able to pick up the, the uh, option on Eric Thames. Now, that doesn't mean that Thames isn't going to make $7.5 million. He's probably not, but sometimes there's a team that might be interested in Eric Thames at $7.5 million, but that's option C or option D, so they want to play through some other options first and then maybe circle back to Thames, but it is notable, at least at this point in time in November, that clearly there's nobody in baseball that was willing to pay Eric Thames $7.5 million. Right. It's very similar to when the Brewers had Chris Carter and he was going into arbitration and they wanted to get rid of him. Everyone, and then as fans, we have recency bias, which I'll get into in a second, but you know, a 40 home run first baseman plays okay defense. Come on. Someone's got to want him. Anyone with a DH has got to want him. And eventually they had to non-tender him, let him out into the market where he, I think, ended up signing a minor league deal before eventually playing a few innings for the Yankees. But the home run power first baseman isn't something that people really want to pay a lot for. I think he was projected to make like $10 million coming out of yeah. that because of the amount of home runs and how arbitration works or a significant amount. Uh, so we've seen this before in recent history, but us as fans watch that production and we think, wow, that's so important to what the Brewers did for success. This guy's valuable. Add on a charismatic personality that's just incredibly fun to watch. And you see him and you're like, how couldn't they get something or why wouldn't they keep him? But when you look at what the rest of the teams are doing, I would be very surprised if Eric Thames signs a deal for over $6 million, uh, on the open market. Heck, it, given his age and the production you can get at first base and how people don't consider or teams do not consider first base to be the premium offensive spot that it used to be, the market's working really hard against him. And it's working really hard against him re-getting that $7.5 Um 
so obviously they would have preferred it to trade Eric Thames, not had to pay that million. Now they have the option to get him back, but they also lose a million of the seven and a half million that they cleared room for. Um, so, I mean, yeah, if people were willing to pay that, Eric Thames would be on another roster. I 100% agree with you. It was very obvious they waited a long time to make that decision. Meanwhile, from all reports, the second they could pick up Manny Pena's option, they picked up Manny Pena's option. We found out about that right away. Yeah. So if there was no value out there for Eric Thames, um, and they knew that from the get-go, or they had no plans on trying to move him, we would have heard about that a lot sooner. We I- just never heard about it. It also plays. It wasn't there. Yeah, and we're, you kind of alluded to this earlier when we were talking about the outfield depth. Look, there's a scenario out there where Thames isn't back. You find a way to re-sign Grandall, and it's some form of Grandall, Braun, and probably somebody else really being a platoon, more than a platoon, probably a three-way timeshare at first base. Yeah, absolutely. It's a way to keep uh, Grandal a little bit healthier. It's not his premium defensive position, but he's not a bad first baseman by any means. Um, and then you get the switch-handed, great offense at bat end there. Um, and then you get a great defensive catcher, Manny Pena, behind the plate. Um, also, I think, although we only saw, I think, 18 games of Ryan Braun at first base in 2018, I think from what we saw, he looked pretty good. Um, he got a lot of challenging opportunities out there and was able to make some pretty spectacular plays. He still has the athleticism to make those types of plays. I knew he wasn't comfortable, but I think playing him there for 60 games or so makes a lot of sense. Meanwhile, you have someone who you're only paying about 600000 who can cover left field then, and you're adding in more diversity into your offense which means you have to allocate less money to your offense and the way you work it and how you're strategizing to get players in. Um, I think that's very realistic that with the outfield logjam that they try to do something very similar to what they did in 2018, barring probably what is their one of their most valuable trade chips right now in Trent Grisham um, leaving the team. I'll tell you the one thing that concerns me about Braun at first base, and people always talk about you know if you're an injury-prone kind of guy, a move to first base is good. I'm not sure if that's the case with Braun because he's got all those back issues, and at first base, while you don't run as much, you bend over a lot more. So I would be concerned about the impact of first base on Ryan Braun's back. And I've seen other people bring that up. I've had that thought as well, um, but I... I think with Braun, you're going to get that at least one to two DL stints or IL stints a day or a, a day, a year. And I think that's going to happen regardless of where you pay, uh, play him. I would hope that first base wouldn't make it more of a problem, but that's where the timeshare comes in. Um, and the nice thing about having three guys that can rotate that is you can actually get more days off for Ryan, more scheduled days off for Ryan Braun than you have in the past and maybe aim for 130 games, which I know people get really upset about because they're like, yeah, he's making 30 million, which he's not. He's only making yeah. 16 and that's a really good contract for a guy like him. Um, but it's, it's something you got to do to keep a still productive player who's aging, who's injury prone, healthy and a part of the roster so he can make contributions that are important to the team. I want to go back to spending money for a second because, again, for most people, we live, you know this as well as anybody, we live in a world where everybody goes to one extreme or the other and people have a hard time looking at things from, from that middle spot. And 
it can both be true that the Brewers deserve credit for the amount of money they have spent, and it can also be true that they can spend more money. And, and I think those things are true. I give. I don't think the Brewers are a cheap organization. I think they're willing to spend money. I think you look at what they've done. They've extended the payroll. That doesn't mean that they can't go a little bit more. In fact, I think this past year at the trade deadline, if there would have been something that really would have made sense, uh, ownership would have cleared the ability to, to put a little bit more money on the payroll. I absolutely believe that. Just nothing came around to, to make that work. So, so I say all that to say this. How much do you think think the Brewers are going to have to extend that payroll this year? Um, I think it needs to go to at least $140 million to adequately fill that roster and make it a competitive team. But ideally, and it's a pretty significant jump, I would go to 160 which is mm. about $31 million over what they did last year. Um and the reason I say 160 is because it kind of quantifies the salaries that will soon be leaving the organization that then you can build around and that salary bubble will naturally come down over time um, versus putting yourself into a luxury tax hell like the Red Sox are in or other organizations that struggle with their current spending situation. Um, so optimistically, I think, I don't see a problem with them going to 140. I think that's probably what the organization sees based on all the holes they have and them creating more holes by, you know, losing two players who were valuable to the team last year. But I really think, especially when you look at, we've only in the last decade have had two teams under the 10th in spending in the major league baseball. There were the Houston Astros in the first world series. And then um, the St. Louis Cardinals, I think, in 2012. No, it was the Royals. Um, and they were 12th and 13th. So still, they were top half in spending. Teams have to spend in order to get to where they are. Um, the thing where the Astros were able to sit at 13th in spending, where it was able to happen because they had accumulated such a good farm. They had so many players still coming up. They could trade for the people still because they had a robust farm. And yeah, the brewers put together a really good farm and they've used it to help themselves quite a bit, but it's not that tool anymore. Maybe you can get like a couple plus bullpen pitchers. Um, otherwise you can get a couple average contributors, but it's not the type of, bullpen that can go out and get a player like Francisco Lindor or it's not the type of farm that can go out and get a player like Francisco Lindor it can't go out and probably even get uh, Mookie Betts who the Red Sox allegedly are trying pretty hard to get out of there in his final year of free agency so they get some value in return for one of their best players in a season where they're kind of bailing on salary I mean if you want to get those guys you have to move players like Hira like Josh Hader like uh, Trent Grisham um, and Trent Grisham still isn't the same level as a Keston hero would be in attractiveness to other teams. So if you don't want to move those guys and you don't want to go get those premium players who are available right now, then yeah, you got to up spending to 150 or so and really get some of the higher tier free agents. Now I don't expect them to go out and sign Garrett Coles, but Zach Wheeler's yes, money Grindals, um, even, Heck, uh, even Donaldson to replace Moose at third base. I think everyone 
as far as a fun perspective and the type of person he would, would prefer Moose. But Donaldson was a more productive third baseman last year. So that would be the type of move that the organization could make and would immediately, barring injury, which he has been prone to, improve the organization, but cost a pretty penny to do. So those moves are out there, even though it was shaping up to be a pretty lame free agency. There are areas where improving is not impossible and they just need to open up the purse strings and go out there and do it. I think I've said what I'm about to say on every single podcast since the season came to an end. So some people can start pressing the uh, plus 30 button on their uh, Apple podcast (laughs) right now. We talk so much about the money it would take to bring back a Yasmani Grandal and a Mike Moustakis. We're not talking enough about the fact that you have to have a catcher, you have to have a third baseman, you've got production that they accounted for last year, and even if you don't get 100% of that production back, you got to get a you got to get a heavy percentage of it back. We're we're not we're not spending enough time talking about the fact that they have to replace that production if those two players are not back and you don't replace that production by bringing in a guy on a on a minor league deal with an invite to spring training like they there's going to have to be legit dudes at those spots yeah um and like i said Manny Pena maybe he's as good as he was in 2017 again and that's pretty good you still lose production but that's a pretty good catcher for around the league but that's a big gamble he hasn't been that player in two seasons uh Travis Shaw the guy looked just so beat up by himself. You could tell that he was mentally hounding himself um, because he'd go and have success in AAA. And, yes, success in AAA doesn't mean nothing where the majors. But then he'd come up and you could tell he was pressing so hard to get something done at the plate in the majors. You can't rely on those people. You need to go out and get replacements for them because otherwise, exactly like you said, your point was made very well. And all I'm doing is reinforcing it. You lose the production that got you to squeak into the playoffs, not even like fully into the playoffs. You got in in the last possible opportunity that you could get into the playoffs with. So if that team was only good enough to just get into the playoffs, then not only do you need to get that production that you had at third base and catcher back, but you still need to improve on it. Also, I do think here's a little side rant. I think people make a bigger deal out of the value that Moustakas and Yasmani Grandal are going to get than it deserves. Last year, even with the qualifying offer, Yasmani Grandal's best offer was reportedly four for 60. Um, so the that's Mets, 15 right? that millions was, a year. Wasn't that the Mets? Yep, with yep. the Mets. So even with the qualifying offer, he was offered four for, uh, you know, 15 a year over four years. The Brewers paid him, if you include the buyout and the, how it was worked in to give the Brewers a little financial flexibility, but it was always going to be paid out in the same season, worked out to be a little over $18 million. That's probably what he's making. He's, I know that we got to watch the best all-around catcher in baseball this season, and we appreciate it a lot more, but he's been that guy for seasons. Not, it's not something new, and the league knew it, and the league hates playing old catchers, and they hate extending long contracts to people who are going to be next to nothing in terms of production when they finish with their contracts. The league doesn't do that anymore. We've seen how screwy a free agency is. We know Yasmani Grandal's value, and Mike Moustakis has been a free agent twice now and has barely been able to come away with $10 million each time. 
I think he signs the only thing that Mike Musakis can do that's better is sign a multi-year deal. Maybe some team saw that he can play second base and they're like, cool, well, now he has more value because he has defensive uh, versatility that we didn't really believe he had before. But, I mean, that can only increase your value to an organization so much. And we always say it only takes one team to make a decision and make that price skyrocket. But I really think we know exactly what those two players are getting. They're getting uh, – Yasmani is getting between 17 and $18 million, and he's just getting – multi-years this time and then mike moustakis is probably getting two or three years at 10 million a piece maybe 12 maybe but so and we paid that last year and now we've cleared up room by not having eric thames or chase anderson on the payroll anymore and then you also have to work in the other contracts that expired like matt albers and ulysse chassin and the team has the money to make that move and they absolutely should go do it they just were willing to do it a season ago and like you said they need that production back or they're a significantly worse team. What's the most years you would give to a Yasmani Grandal? Four. Um, and four would be hard for me. I'd yeah. prefer three in an option. Um, I, but four is the, hey, we're desperate and we really want this guy back. Uh, statistically, catchers tend to go down in production significantly after turning 30. So now that he is 30 or coming up on 31, I think he turns 31 sometime in the off season, if not already this off season, um, there is significant risk there in terms of loss in production, um, which we saw in a catcher like Jonathan Lucroy, who went from being one of the top players and best catcher in all of baseball to now jumping around on one year deals as a split time slash backup catcher. The production just fades quickly because of how beat up catchers get over time. And that's why playing him at first base is also valuable while having someone you can trust that defensively like Manny Pena. Um, but four years would be hard, but I'd pay it. Um, I would try to get three in an option. One of the national guys, I can't remember who it is, so I'm not trying to take credit from anybody. I just don't remember things. Uh, one of the national guys um, threw out the idea during the year this past year that the Brewers were playing Grandal as much as they were playing uh, playing him because he wasn't going to be back. You know, the, the idea was to bring him in on a one-year deal, and he was always going to exit. And I think as the year went along and his value was shown, that's when all of a sudden you're like, okay, maybe this guy can be back with the Brewers. But for a while, it was like, oh, there's no, this is going to be a one-year thing with Grandal. But there, the, the point I'm trying to make here is he played a lot this past year, and I think you look at catchers who play a lot like that, they're more susceptible to injury and they're more susceptible to having a, a little bit of a step back the next year. I'm not I'm not saying that that's going to happen with Grandal. And actually, I, I don't think it's going to, but I'm also not going to eliminate the possibility that he would not be the exact same guy this upcoming year after he played just a ton. And it's back-to-back seasons playing it ton behind the plate um he played 135 games as catcher for the dodgers when they knew he was leaving for free agency for probably very similar reasons they had a prospect who was ready to take over and they knew that grandal could be out the door then you move on to um him this year and he actually sets a career high with 1095.2 innings played as a catcher for the milwaukee brewers um 
However, I do think the Brewers are smart about how they handle their players, and I'm sure they worked in his time at first base in a way where they saw that they could work around that and still have a healthy player. Because, I mean, at that age, with that workload, you're actually putting a significant risk that he's going to break down in season, Mm -hmm. let alone in the future. So, yeah, he was used a whole lot, and it is worrying. But at the same time, um, the way the Brewers handle their players, I don't think they'd like to use guys like that. And I would wager that they felt very comfortable health-wise with what he was doing. I want to talk about starting pitching a little bit. And here's what I think is going to happen, and you can agree or disagree. I think the Brewers are going to sign one veteran who you could just automatically put into the rotation. Uh, kind of one of those level B, level C sort of free agents. Kind of, kind of like the Yoli Chassin signing. From a, from a, you know, the moment Chassin was signed, we knew he was going to be in the starting rotation. I don't think we knew how well he was going to pitch that first year with the team, but we knew he was going to be in the rotation. So I think they're going to, I think they're going to sign a guy like Chassin, a, a signing that's somewhat equivalent to that. Then I think they're going to bring in a couple, two, three guys that are veterans who can compete. And I think they're also going to have a Corbin Burns, a Zach Brown, guys like that be able to compete as well. But they're going to be in a different situation this year in spring where last year it was those young guys that they were going with and there wasn't a backup plan and there was no backup plan until they signed Gio Gonzalez. And maybe Gio is one of those guys that they bring back this year to be a veteran to uh, compete. Agree or disagree with my general thought process on what they're going to do with starting pitching? I agree to an extent. My hope, but I've been hoping this for three seasons, and uh, I'm I'm not sure <laughs> why I'm going back to it. But based on the amount of money they've cleared to spend, I'm hoping that that veteran is a higher tier than what you've discussed. Um, the high tier of pitching is a little heavier than it's been this year. Um, even when you look at a player like uh, Jake Odorizzi and the level he performed at with the Minnesota Twins. Um, but then you have Ryu, you have Wheeler, you have some pretty phenomenal. Uh, you have a lot of wonderful, her great one A's, and then you have a really good one B group, in my opinion. Um, so my hope is they dig into that one B group versus doing more of like a Chassin signing. Otherwise, I I think you're pretty spot on. I think they believe in their. Uh, development of their pitchers so far and believe that players like her like Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta should deserve another shot in the rotation and that they both can have success in doing that because they both have ace level stuff it's just about the flaws that are keeping them from doing that obviously with Freddie it's the location and with Corbin it's for whatever reason players are blasting his fastball out of the park um so I think they'd rather go with a safety plan, which I feel like they, like you said, they didn't really do last year so much as they eventually fell into Gio Gonzalez. You know, think yeah, they, I think it's a realistic plan. You think they give Freddie another – like I, I look at Freddie Peralta and I say he doesn't profile as a starting pitcher. He profiles as a reliever. So let him be a reliever and let him become a really, really good reliever. Um, I think he's so young. And if they, I mean, you look at a player like Josh Hader, 
who profiled really well as a reliever, and they just put him in relief. I think the only reason they ever said, like, no, no, the plan's to move him into uh, the rotation was just to, like, not have people flip out because of his success in the rotation down in the minors. Yeah. I think if they would have that same identity recognition with a player like Freddy Peralta, and if that were the case, he wouldn't have been given a starting spot last year. They can learn things, right? Yeah, I mean, he's still very, very young, though. Um, And they could learn something about him where maybe they don't like um, or like, you know, they get the success they got out of him in spurts last off her last season um, out of the bullpen. But he's still 23. I mean, there's still so much that can change in his uh, production. Um, I mean, the control is just so awful um, that you that's what's hardest to justify is working around that. But I mean, we've seen spurts from him as a starter of just truly phenomenal performances. And I think seeing that it's hard for any organization to think like, Oh, like let's just give up and keep him as a reliever. Um, I'm not sure that extends out of spring training, but I wouldn't be surprised for him to be one of the rotation competitors in spring training or one of the first guys to kind of fill in, when the situation's needed. I'm a little afraid that they're going to have some rotation jumbling, that Adrian Hauser is going to do that classic thing where rookie comes up and surprises and dominance in uh, the rotation. They put him back out into the rotation and he just can't get it together anymore. Um, I'm a little worried about that. And then they're going to be, have to shuffle players around between, you know, players like Freddie Peralta or that, minor league deal or protecting starter that they can stash away for a little bit until a situation like that arrives. I liked Adrian Hauser for a real long time. I think he has the potential to be exactly what we saw last year, but it's just one of those cases that worries me in the same way. Both of you and I thought Jesus Aguilar was going to take a step back coming into this year. And boy, did he, um, yeah. So I, I think he has the, potential to still be stressed out because or stretched out because of what he's given you in flashes i'm gonna have to think about adrian hauser for a little bit um i haven't yeah i i don't know i i see what you're saying i i have more conf right now and i i elect to change this at some point in time right now i have more confidence in adrian hauser next year than i had in jesus aguilar going into this year this past year (laughs) Right, and I would say my fear is strictly linked to um, an unjustified fear of the past repeating itself, more so than anything that actually gives validity. Whereas Jesus Aguilar, there were flaws in his game that we saw in the second half that pointed to him struggling in the future. Yeah, and look, something I say all the time, and people get sick of it, and I'm sorry, I'm going to say it again. I talk about track records so much, especially, and you're going to, when we get closer and closer and closer to the start of the season, and when we get into spring training, and we're starting to talk about guys winning jobs and everything, you're going to hear me a million times talk about track record. Because if you don't have a track record you can very easily be a one season wonder it happens all the time 
to me, there is there's the reason I have a little bit more hope about Travis Shaw than I would another player is because Shaw's got a track record, and clearly the organization agrees with that because they gave him chance after chance after chance after chance, and it just never worked out. But they said, hey, at some point, this guy's track record is going to play out, and it didn't. That doesn't mean track record's right 100% of the time, but I put a lot more stock in counting on somebody who's done it for multiple years than a guy who's just done it for a very short amount of time. So that's just backing up what you just said. Right. And it's absolutely true. I mean, when you have production out of someone like Travis Shaw and it's been there's out of his four seasons heading into this, three of them were almost identical in terms of production and the amount of time he had at the plate. So, I mean, obviously he's that player more often than he isn't. We know that we can't you can't take the minors and make them mean something um, because the minors uh, isn't the same level of job, isn't the same level of competition. So without that, or despite success in the minors, that doesn't mean that you have a record of success. Um, so, yeah, I 100 percent agree with you. Do you it's it's such a tough situation for this team. And I guess we what what do you expect to have happen with Travis Shaw? Oh, I really do not know. I think they hold on to him, and if they find a quality replacement, they are going to non-tender him. Um, but if he gets a bump in arbitration and you're paying a bench player who can play third base, first base, second in a pinch, um, that's a lot of money to play yeah. a pay, or pay a player like that. Um, I think his past production more than justifies keeping him around because you want to see him recreate uh, recreate that and when you look at like the reasons for her his failures last year there are areas where you see like okay if he improves on you know um you know his batting average and balls in play was just horrible even for a guy who gets just punished by the shift all the time it was just horrible um so he might have had a bad, little bit of bad luck was his angle awful was you know, you get into all, all those little tiny metrics that build the, into what a player's results ended up being. Um, there's reason to see hope in Travis Shaw's performance um, or his statistics. And but betting six million dollars on that if he does get an arbitration bump is just really hard to do. I think they offer him the arb minimum and say take it or we're not tendering you. And if he and I think he probably takes it because he'd rather bet on himself in a familiar organization. And then during spring training, you can hopefully teach him a corner outfield spot too and have a little bit more versatility in him as a player. Um, and that justifies having him on the bench more than what you had coming in or what you had last season. I really want him to succeed. And I think he, I still think he can be the player we saw in 2017 and 2018. Um, even if we get 2018 Shaw back, that's still a pretty good player and a very productive defender. I I just it's really hard to justify it, like a potential cost that they're facing. Yeah, and he's got. I mean, he and his agents ha have to realize that if he's offered any anything, you know, if they come to terms on a deal ahead of time, he's probably going to make more money from the Brewers than he is out on the free market after a, after a non-tender situation. At the other on the other side of it we don't know how he feels internally sometimes there's players who had really bad years who say to themselves you know what a, a new 
change of scenery. You talk about change of scenery all the time. Maybe a change of scenery. The player makes that decision that they feel like they could be more successful if they go somewhere else. Yeah, and absolutely. Uh, maybe they'll even try to recognize that and talk to him and realize that's what he wants to do and try to trade him for a, you know, a soft return um, and get him somewhere that's willing to play him what they are. And hopefully that change of scenery will help him be successful because he's the type of guy I feel like I can root for even if he moves on from the team. Um, but yeah, it's... I, I, like I said, that price tag is just so hard. And if he did leave the team, I, I agree with you. Like the money out there, I feel like you're facing a minor league deal at that point based on just how awful last season was. And the mark, I mean, there's nothing to, I would assume, and I think I'm going to be right on this. And if I'm wrong on it, well, I'll, I'll very, I'll very happily be wrong on it because I, I want to see players making more money. I don't think it's good for baseball what's going on, but there is no reason to believe that this offseason is going to be any different than the last two offseasons, and we're going to have guys sitting out there waiting on uh, on Garrett Cole to get signed and Anthony Rendon to get signed. It's going to be the same thing. And Moustakis ends up back with the Brewers on one year, in large part because everybody he's sitting there waiting for Manny Machado. Like, I have no reason to believe that this year is going to be any different than what we've seen in the last two years. Yeah, and especially for him, there's a lot of good players out at third base right now or players who can offer similar production. So, I Yeah. I wouldn't want to face that if I were in his shoes. Remember last year when Jonathan Scope signed that deal so early and we're all going, okay, we know he didn't have a great finish with the Brewers, but why are you signing? I mean, he was a genius move. Like He got a chance at a deal, a major league deal, making pretty good money, and he didn't have to play out the stupid offseason that the rest of the free agents did. Yeah, it's weird because normally in the off seasons we've heard of how beneficial it can be to wait and wait and wait. And I feel like agents are recommending that to players. But really, it seems like the best deals are happening right away. And if you don't <clears throat> if you don't sign right away, um, you're leaving money on the table. And Scope was the one person who, you know, probably out of fear of what happened the year before, recognized that and decided to jump on it. Yeah, that's if I was an agent right now. That and I, I would read the room better than it seems like most of the agents are, are reading it. And if I get a legit deal that's in the neighborhood of the years and the money that my client wants, I'm not trying to create leverage to um, get more money because that deal might go away. Yep, it's Shark Tank for baseball free agency. Yeah, it absolutely is. It should almost be a reality show. I wish we could watch it. Wouldn't that be cool? But then then the collusion that's happening would actually be on record, and uh, people wouldn't want that to happen. Ah, uh, Yeah. I mean, no one wants to admit that there's collusion, even though there's definitely collusion. There's- Some of those off-season stories from free agents are just weird. Like, yeah, Francisco Liriano talking about being out on a golf course, and all of a sudden one team calls, he hangs up, and two other teams call with the same exact deal minutes later. And they're getting loose in the corner. The Alex Anthopoulos quote about, oh, yeah, we've been talking to all the other teams to find out what their plans are. And then the PA's like, yeah, you can't do that. And then he comes, well, we've been talking to them about trades. No, like, you just, it's so, it's such an accepted practice right now that you forget that what you're doing is against the rules and you say something like that. Yep. And it's what's going to, it's will be the biggest reason that we have to face a, you know, a loss of playtime in baseball. And when the contract expires, I believe in 2021. That's sidebar. And I'll let you go in a second because I've taken a ton of your time. 
the the ownership needs to realize that even if they don't want to spend a little bit more money, just a a little bit of a good faith effort at this point in time of spending some money might go a long way towards not having a labor stoppage in the future. And I know owners are going to sit there and try to make as much money as they possibly can so they don't want to spend money. But you know what? If you're not playing baseball, you're going to lose more money. So in a in a kind of in a zero-sum game, spending a little bit more money now could prevent the loss of a ton of money in the future if there is a labor stoppage. And the vast – and I don't think – I again, I give credit to the Brewers. I think the Brewers do spend above their weight. They they can spend more. I think they will spend more. But the, Brewer, the, the Brewers take advantage of it because they signed a Mike Moustakis. They signed a Yasmani Grandal. They're willing to spend money where other teams are not. And while the Brewers have taken advantage of it, they, there is so much short-sightedness going on from owners and – and it might cost us uh, games being played in the relatively near future. Yeah, um, I've said it for a while. The best thing they can do this offseason is fake that it was last offseason. Or not last offseason, but like offseason's gone by. Just fake it. Yeah, <laughs> you, you don't need to give them quite what the players are wanting. But, you know, spend, like you said, spend a little bit more. It'll save you in the long run. If it feels like everything's fixed then you have less of a risk of everyone being upset in the future. Right. There's people out there who always side with owners over players because they don't understand that it's millionaires versus billionaires. But the more this goes on, and if there, you know, there's clearly a problem out there, and I think people are starting to come around on, okay, maybe there is an issue. If you can kind of pump the brakes a little bit where that average fan out there that doesn't completely understand the economics of baseball. And I don't say that in like a, like there's no reason for the average fan to completely understand it. You don't have to understand it. It's cool if you don't understand it, but for the average fan out there to not constantly be barraged by the fact that guys are not getting paid money, that changes the general perception and general perception in this situation can be very powerful. Yep. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now you can uh, now you can go ahead and uh, gloss over, not gloss over, but uh, you know just pump out everything that you want to pump out about what you and uh, the good folks at Brew Crew Ball are doing. Oh God, what aren't we doing? Um, I'm currently working on a project I haven't talked about anywhere else, even to my uh, coworkers, uh, where I am reaching out to Brewers prospects and trying to do follow up interviews on what they're working on this off season and try to get a little bit deeper into the development side and how development works now that they're in the system. A few of them are players who I've spoken to in the past um, for after they've been drafted. Um, but I'm trying to get some new guys in there too, and really learn more about the development process, how players are changing, what life has been like as a pro baseball player now that they've actually entered that lifestyle. Um, and, you know, give a little bit more light into that. I have one lined up that I hope to get done this week. It all depends on the player's schedule. Um, so watch for that on Brew Crew Ball. But then we have uh, where Kyle and I are working on our prospect rankings. We are working on free agency previews. We are working on editorials about what we hope management does or does not do, along with following all the breaking news that comes in from other sources and just following up on those. So we have, we are actually been very busy so far this off season. Um, so definitely make sure to check in every day for new content and we'll uh, definitely have it there for you. And you are going to be doing a full on minor league recap 
on Brewers Extra News, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile over the next few weeks. Woo! Can't wait. All right, Brad. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, take care, Matt. Brad Ford joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. We certainly appreciate him taking some time. And again, he is going to be back with us over the next few weeks as next week we will start our in-depth review of the minor leagues and the prospects that were uh, in the minor leagues uh, this past season. And there's nobody better out there than Brad on going through. So in uh, week one, we'll look at uh, players who spent uh, most of the season at AAA or AA. Week uh, in two weeks, we'll do the two single A clubs, and then we'll look at the short season clubs after that. It's always a little bit tough when we're going through it on deciding. You know, when guys are moving up, try to figure out uh, which which group you're going to put them in, especially guys who played at multiple levels during the course of the season. But uh, we do our best at that. Actually, I do my best, and then Brad just answers questions whether I put guys into the uh, right category or not. That is going to do it for uh, this week's edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks so much for being tuned in, and we look forward to talking to you next week for another edition. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.